0: Thank you very much. Thank you, Robert. Those, uh, he has said those same things, are very similar to them, for four times, this being the fourth. He says them so sincerely. My only regret is that my mother is not here to hear those words spoken. Uh, it's, it's how, how, how precious to be received uh, so graciously and welcomed so wonderfully, especially... Uh, at this scene of a site that I, I told your pastor exactly why I accepted the invitation. And I don't want to uh, uh, embellish the remarks, but I, I personally witness in my spirit of a an unusual and profound purpose <clears throat> of God in this congregation. I've always been careful with our own congregation as God began to raise it up over 30 years ago in a, a very remarkable way to not uh, give people a sense of self-importance as a church, because none of us are absolutely necessary at all to God. But He's desirous to use those who will make themselves available. And when a whole congregation decides to glorify the Lord truly and to become genuine people in God and open to his Holy Spirit, uh, there's unusual things that will begin to multiply through them. And that's clearly happening with you. And it is far more than just a growing church. A growing church can, can be just an accumulation of numbers. A growing people are another thing. And they are a congregation, they are a church, but I I witness in my spirit that God is raising up a, a very significant center for his glory and purpose that will uh, require more of you all the time in your own depth and development and uh, awareness that you have not been created by the Lord for yourself but for His purpose. At the same time, He has that beautiful way of ministering to each one of us personally and giving us what we need, but it's so He can do more with us. Any takers on this bargain? Huh? Amen? Amen? That's what the Lord is doing. And so. When Robert invited me, I was delighted to come and honored as well. Pastor Griffin, we'd never met, but I, I want to uh, express uh, my own sense of how heartwarming this has to be for you. Uh, and it's, I look forward to uh, uh, gaining acquaintance. God bless you. Something I think Robert said, this, this uh, unnerved me a bit. He said, it's like uh, if, the, if there is an apostle Paul in this in this generation, he said that I was that. And I, I was really moved by that. That's only one rung from the Virgin Mary. I'm <coughs> uh, possibly when I come next time. You know. I, want to <laughs> I want to ask you to open the word of God with me this morning. And uh, I want to be sensitive to the, the time and move rather briskly. We had a speaker at our church, Joe Garlington. Some of you guys have met Joe through Promise Keepers. Uh, Joe was guest speaker at our church not long ago. When you opened the Bible, he said, uh, "He said I will be brief today." As uh, one Hollywood starlet recently said when she uh, married her first husband, she said, "I won't keep you long." And uh, <coughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'd like to open, have you open to Zechariah, the fourth chapter, Zechariah chapter four. Uh, if you're fairly new to the Bible, uh, go to the beginning of the New Testament and just page back a few pages and you'll find it. In fact, it won't be more than about 10 or 12 pages back to Zechariah 4. In the Old Testament, I was raised in a church environment where it was almost a sense of competition when they announced the text to see who found it the fastest, you know. In fact, how many of you ever went to a church where they did a thing called sword drills? Remember this? And it's sort of a self-righteousness around your ability to just get right there, you know. And I, you can remember situations where there was an obscure text and uh, they'd, they, they'd announce it, you know, turn to Hezekiah 8. And that uh, yeah, makes me nervous that some of you didn't laugh on Hezekiah. That isn't a book in the Bible, folks. Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible. But Zechariah chapter 4. And you just take your Bible and say, God, if you ever help me, help me now, you know. I uh, say happiness. There was a whole list of happinesses for the conventional Christian some time back that was issued. One of them says happiness is finding the obscure text before the person seated next to you in church. But uh, fuller happiness, the Sapalovanas happiness, is when the person next to you finds the text first. That when you open to it, you have it underlined. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone or the headstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Notice those, the repetition of those words. Would you say grace, grace with me? Say it, please. Grace, grace. It says with shouts of grace. Let's try it a little louder. Grace, grace. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hand of Zerubbabel, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? This passage of scripture, significant in the history of Israel because it is surrounding the time of the beginning of the building of the second temple, pursuant upon the people's return from captivity, is loaded loaded with drama. And I want you to think with me about a, a classic historic passage but I, I want to be very emphatic on a, a principle for every one of us to grasp if you never have before. And very likely you have. And it's a mistake that many people make about the historical passages of the Bible. In fact, a lot of people, because they were ruined for history because they had a history teacher in school, it was probably a piece of history herself or his self. Um, uh, uh, there's something, you know, recently found in an archaeological dig. There's a, a feeling of disinterest in history. So when you come to historical passages, or even if history is mentioned in the scripture, as I just mentioned it, people will automatically, you're challenged to retain their attention. Whenever you come to the historical passages of scripture, it's important to lay hold of a principle When the Bible is spoken to us as being the eternal word of God, which the scripture says of itself and has been verified by its eternal power, its timeless power. Eternal is not just enduring and endless, it's timeless. Which means when you deal with history in the scriptures, you're dealing with timeless principles. In other words, God is not just saying, here's something that happened and you can read it in my book so you're prepared for Bible quizzes or just for general information. But he's saying... I put this in my word by my Holy Spirit for you to turn to. And if you can see yourself in this text, then what I did there is the very thing I intend to do with you. That it is not only history, it's a prophecy for you. It's the Lord saying, this is the way I do things in the face of these kind of situations. So as we come to this text, I want to talk a few minutes about what was going on there. And then have you move with me directly into what's going on with you. Because I doubt, frankly, there's much of anybody here this morning, that what this text is about, and what Zerubbabel, what a peculiar name, but what a powerful message here, that what was going on with Zerubbabel is very, very likely true at some point or at some issue in your life. As a matter of fact, It's more than likely that you parallels Zerubbabel in your experience. Let me say two or three things about him. Number one, he was a man that really did want to do what God wanted him to do. And I'm going to guess that's you. People don't just bother to come and do what you're doing on this Sunday morning, except you care. Second thing, his priorities were pretty straight. He'd led a group of people, about 50,000. They'd come back from an extended period of exile. As a matter of fact, most of the people coming back hadn't gone into exile they were second generation. generation that got into exile had, had died in Babylonian uh, exile. But the Lord was bringing the people back. It's the great return of the Old Testament. Kind of often paralleled, though there's distinctives, between coming out of Egypt as coming back from Babylon. And as they, they returned, the first thing, the proper priority, and it was driven by a passion, a perspective of, of, of judicious uh, wisdom. That we want to build the temple first. They, of course, set up places that they could be. But the, the, the coming back to Jerusalem and the whole area had been completely devastated uh, decades before by the hosts of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian soldiers. Jerusalem had been leveled, plundered. And while they, when they came back, there's not much to come back to. But there is a place. As they come back and there begins to be the recovery, the first thing that they did was build the temple. But the fact is, it's being delayed. It's stymied right now. And that's what this passage of Scripture has to do. Listen, a person who really has the right priorities and really wants to do what God wants him to do. But there's a stymieing point on something he's pursuing. I don't know if it sounds like home to you, but these things face all of us. And they're things that become obstacles. told the story in earlier services about my My five-year-old grandson, we'd just been to the house where Doug and Krista, Krista's our youngest daughter, Anna and I have four. Incidentally, I didn't bring greetings from Anna. She and I have been married 50 years, just celebrated it just a few weeks ago. And uh, that celebration, thank you. And uh, just not uh, in and around the same time, we celebrated my birthday and we were over at Doug and Krista's house and all the kids were there and our grandkids. We have four kids. They're all married. We have 11 grandkids. And just uh, last Sunday, in fact, dedicated our first great-grandchild, which was a pretty exciting thing. But uh, at any rate, as we... Uh, the, the party was over. Everybody had gone home. Anna and I sitting in Doug and Chris's living room, uh, the front room, just uh, visiting with them. And that was about 7 o'clock. The party had started around three thirty, four o'clock. Had a barbecue and stuff like that. And... Uh, so I looked at my watch and I said, well, it's Doug and Chris. I said, Mom and I need to go. Uh, I guess we'll be leaving. And so she, Krista called down the hall to Brant. She said, Brant, Grandma and Grandpa are getting ready to go. Come give them a hug. He called back just like that. He said, I'll, I'll be there in just a minute. I'm making Grandpa a birthday card. About 30 seconds later, he came running down the hallway. With him was another five-year-old little girl named Natalie. Doug and Chris t- trade babysitting chores with another family in the church. And Natalie had arrived about an hour before and had, had been there. And, both of them came running down the hall. And these are not what they brought me, but it was about this size. It was a tear-off sheet of a phone pad. And I think that what the birthday cards they'd made for me had been, in fact, probably when you saw them, made during the 30 seconds between when they said I'm making a birthday card. Because it was nothing but just scrawling. It had crayons and pencil. It was just, just like this, you know. It was, it was an absolute, had no redeeming merit whatsoever except possibly on the refrigerator door of a grandparent. You know, there's priceless art there. I can imagine the way that looked. It would probably be appropriate in the New York Museum of Art as well. It's the kind of thing that you see in a place like that. But at any rate, uh, they came. Well, I sat back down. Anna and I had stood up and were ready to leave. And I sat back down on the couch. And, uh, so I'd be eye level with the kids and I received their their cards. And I studied them just a minute. And I said, oh, thank you. This is so nice. And I hugged them and And just on impulse, with no premeditation, handed them right to them, right back to them. I said, would you read me my birthday card? Well, Brant didn't miss a lick. He's a pretty quick-witted little kid. And just like that, he took it and and he said, happy birthday, Grandpa. I hope you like your birthday party. I hope you like your cake. I hope you like your presents. I love you, Brant. And he handed it back to me. So I said, Natalie, would you read me your card? Natalie looked at her card and handed it to (laughs) Brant. And Brant looked really, he was impatient. You know, he looked, he reached over and he took it from her because not much else he could do. But you could tell that he wasn't real happy with her not making up her own card. No kidding, as his eyes passed mine, he's bringing it over in front of him and he he rolled his eyes, look look at me, as though to say, you know, give me a break, you know. And he looked at it a minute and you could tell his mind's trying to conjure up something else and then he just stopped and he said, Scribble, 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 scribble. You and I. Like Zerubbabel. Have situations that are worthy. Worthy goals. Desires. Things in fact as with Zerubbabel. God had said I'm going to do this. And he set his heart. To see what God wants to do with him and through him. But it's as though it had been scribbled on. As though a plan. A blueprint. A word from God has been scribbled on. And you can't just stand and look at the scribble and. Uh, just say scribble. You want to see what God has brought into being, brought about. And it's at that moment, in that situation, where the energies of the workers had come to lag. It was all volunteer effort. People were showing up to help. The temple was going nowhere. Nowhere. And the stones that had been, some of them, gathered from the rubble of history, back from the time of Solomon's temple, decades before, that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And as you, uh, they'd been quarried some fresh stones. And the stones that were for the reconstruction or the building of the temple were stacked up there. And the mountain that's being referenced there, who are you, O great mountain, was actually the building parts, the pieces for what it was God wanted to do. But had been stymied, had been stymied first and foremost by resistance from the area. When these people returned by edict from the Persian government, government now, when they returned, there was a, a command that they had to let these people back, but there were no cooperating people in the area. And the regional governor was re- regularly make resistance to them. And incidentally, Mr. Mayor, thank you for your support and your gracious participation. Very unlike uh, that, the case there. As you come then to this situation, you find this uh, the, the, the deterioration of of uh, momentum, the discouragement of the people, and the building process of the temple had come virtually to a halt. Haggai the prophet addresses the same thing when you study that prophet. They both were prophesying virtually side by side, two witnesses speaking to the word of the, of the word of the Lord. To encourage Zerubbabel. As that word came to him by Zechariah, in this case, Zerubbabel uh, is told exactly these things. Zerubbabel, the Lord told me to come and say to you, this will not take place by might. That is by human strength or calculation. It will not take place by power. That is human energy or capability. But it will take place by a move of the spirit of God. Something God will do by his spirit. And it will be brought to its completion. It says you'll set forth the capstone. The word capstone refers to what would be the equivalent for us in our culture of a cornerstone. When a building is finished, the last thing usually that's done, there's a ceremonial event. And they come and they set the cornerstone. It was the equivalent. You'll you'll bring forth the capstone. In other words, that mountain of stones, there's one that has been reserved, prepared for the final... And that final touch, the completion of what it is that is on your heart with an appropriate priority, but it seems stymied, that will be brought to its completion, not by might or power, but by the Spirit of God. And the way you will welcome the workings of the Spirit of God, he says, you will bring it forth with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, the issue of the shouting of grace is not just shouting a formula word. The issue is understanding what the grace is about. It's interesting to follow through the word of God, the use of the word grace. And it's also an interesting fact that the average believer, New Testament believer, tends to isolate the use of the word grace into essentially that which relates to the favor of God's kindness to us without our deserving salvation. That we're saved by grace. And if you're here today and you've never received the Lord, that's the best news there is. That Christ has died for us, and it's by grace that we receive salvation. Which means that God just says, it's yours as a free gift, you just need to come and receive it. So our achievements are not essential at all. As a matter of fact, not only not essential, they couldn't achieve anything of that merit. And that grace concept that has to do with our salvation is so commonly the kind of the stopping place where people think of grace applying. Where through the scriptures you study the New Testament, it just keeps going on. To begin with, grace is the essence of the very nature of what Jesus has come to overflow in everything of our lives. The Bible says, describing his incarnation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We behold his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it says, and of his fullness, we have received grace for grace, grace upon grace. The word full in the Greek language, plerao, is a verb that describes what we call full. There's a glass of water right here, not quite full, but if it was right to the brim, the verb pro. Pr- 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 The verb uh, plerao would not apply to that until it began to overflow. It would require uh, some kind of a pipe system that is just just—it's overflowing all the time. So that full has to do with a constant stream. In Christ, there is a constant stream of grace. The grace that has brought us to salvation doesn't stop gracing then. There's a constant ongoingness of his presence in our lives to deal with other things. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't really manage. No, matter it's not God commenting on our lives saying, you don't know what you're doing, you're stupid. It's God saying that everything you can do isn't going to get everything done that I want to do through you. You're going to need more than whatever you can bring to the table. And I'm going to stream it toward you. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's the flow of grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. It's the same word that's used that describes when miracles began to happen through Stephen's life. Chapter 6 of Acts, and Stephen, full of grace, there was something, he didn't just decide to conjure miracles or say, Oh, God, work a miracle. God just began to flow miracles in and around him. The 11th chapter of the book of Acts, when there's an outbreak of revival up in Antioch, it said they sent Barnabas up to see what was happening. And when he arrives and sees the move of the Spirit of God, it says it in these words, And when he saw the grace of God. He was watching God do something that man could not produce and was changing the sociological setting of an environment, was breaking through in a culture that had never happened before. God does things that transcend what we can do by grace. Grace is the core of the word. The Greek word charis is the word from which we derive charismata or the word charismatic. Charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are God doing things that are beyond us. Just through natural people, he does supernatural things. Through plain people, he does the extraordinary. And that's something that is the flow of grace. So grace is a a word that streams constantly of things that transcend us. I'd like to give you a definition of grace and just have you say it with me. Would you say this phrase by phrase? Grace is the freely granted favor of God. Grace is the freely granted favor of God. That disposes him to enable for us, that disposes him to enable for us, that which we could never do for ourselves. That which he could never do for ourselves. There are so many things that that describes precisely, and that is precisely where Zerubbabel was. He had brought... You have a brilliant leader. You don't lead 50,000 people across a 700-mile journey in ancient times across the desert without having some smarts. He was a guy that was heading up the whole rebuilding objective according to the purpose of God for that people. He had the respect. He had the ability. He had the stuff that it took in so many dimensions, but he couldn't get it done because there was resistance. The resistance was explained first on the one hand by the what would be counterpart to the adversary in our world today that resists us all. The other part had to do with the weariness of people that wondered why things aren't making the headway that you'd hoped since you were hoping and seeking a good thing. It wasn't like you were beating the air for something unworthy. And when you face that thing, you draw those parallels that's done any strain. Find out that that's precisely the kind of thing that happens so often in our own lives. There's got to be here this morning at least one married couple and you dearly love each other, but you also have very, very difficult times in some aspects of your relationship. And in that you sometimes feel like you've just made a good start and then something throws a monkey wrench in the whole thing. The tendency is to blame one another. Say, "How? why does this keep happening to us? There's got to be people here that you're hoping for something better than what's happening with one of your kids right now. It wasn't that you didn't try to do everything right or raise them decent, but things have come to a place where you just can't figure out how can we get through this. There is bitter resistance in the world of darkness around us, and sometimes the kids just get in their own initiative some problems too, and you get wearied by having tried and giving it your best. There's business people here. That you can't want to, you figure out why can't this thing finally, the corner turn on this? Why can't we get clearance on that? Why won't this deal break through? Why can't we solve this management problem? We can go on, add an in and fun item with things that have to do with all our life. There's some student here, high school, college level. Your situation, you say, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to crank it through on this course, I'm going to have to get a clearer picture of what's going on in this class than I get. And it's not that I'm not trying to study. I just don't get this subject. Somebody would tell you, well, you just don't happen to have that particular propensity or ten- or capacity. But I'll tell you something. The living God who has put any one of us in whatever situation we're in, he'll give you grace to enable you. And that grace will enable us to do what transcends what we can do in our own. And that promise is demonstrated here so profoundly in this passage. I will do it not by might, not by power. God isn't mocking what we can bring to the table. He's simply saying it will never be enough in many situations. We'll face some things we can do pretty well. We still say, Lord, help us and bless us and give us strength. But the strength is still can get it done. Here he says, your strength isn't even going to get it done. It's going to take something that comes from an overflow of what only I can do. that's what was the message from Zechariah to Zerubbabel that day. And he said, you'll bring that forth, that mountain will be leveled before you. That unfinished project that is depicted by that mountain of stones. It'll be leveled, it'll be brought to completion, and the way will be with shouts of grace. Which is an invocation of what God will do beyond what you can do. Saying, God, I stand before this mountain and I say, grace, grace to it. And invoke the flow of your life and your workings. And that shouting brings me to the point that draws me to the conclusion of our, our message this morning. Because the uh, directive that was given to, to Zerubbabel, I, 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 I muse over it. In fact, I become amused knowing the human tendencies. I can imagine Zechariah having delivered this word to him. You'll bring it forth with shouts. Grace, grace to you. He says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation. It's going to finish. The promise is you. And don't despise the day of small things. The place that is now, I'm going to do it. So Zechariah, Zerubbabel says, you know, Zechariah, thanks a lot. That is such an encouraging word from the Lord. I really appreciate it. Zechariah says, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I just, I believe it. I believe it. He says, well, you're not just supposed to believe it. I told you the Lord said, shout grace, grace well i'll I'll do it well, let's do it i I feel dumb doing it with you here i you know I want to do it sometime when nobodys around and you, know, you just look stupid saying grace, grace you know just... Zechariah says, the word of the Lord is shout grace now get over here by this mountain with me right now. It's the summons to come to terms with uh, The application of how we appropriate the promise. It's the spirit of praise, really, is what it is. But the declaration of grace is saying something that is so precious, so powerful. I want to invite you, before we conclude today, as God would witness of anything that I'm saying to some issue in your life, to shout grace. To stand before the presence of the Lord this morning and say, "Lord, you who have saved me by grace, you have showered grace toward me. I want to address that thing." I gave some examples. Let me give you a very, very touching example. Some time back, I got a letter from a woman, and I'd brought this message at a place. She wrote me, and she said, "She said, Pastor Jack, when you were and she cited the location, it happened to be up in Oregon. <clears throat> she said." She said, it's it's awkward and almost embarrassing to me, but God has been so gracious and done so much. I wanted to tell you about it. She said, I was having a severe problem losing weight. She said, I was carrying between 50 and 60 pounds uh, more than was going to do me any good. And the doctor was very concerned about my heart. My children were getting uneasy because their mom was not losing the weight. And she said, I tried everything. She said, it was not a matter of not being earnest and attempting diets. She said, as a matter of fact, I could diet for two or three weeks. And because of metabolic irregularities in my body, I would gain a pound or two, having put the most severe diet to, to test for two or three weeks. And she said, I would become so discouraged, I would just revert to eating. It wasn't even that I was gaining more weight, it's just that I wasn't losing what I needed to lose. And she said, I was becoming hopeless because this had gone on this way for cycle after cycle after cycle of attempted weight loss. And she said, I heard that message. She said, in my virtual despair that I would never be able to make the headway against this mountain of weight. I took that word home with me after we'd been in that service and had shouted grace. And she said, each day I'd stand in front of the mirror and she said, I would shout grace at my overweight. She said, I did diet, but for the first time it started to take hold. She says, I'm glad as I write you that I have lost between 40 and 50 pounds. Hallelujah. And she was doing a marvelous realization of what she could not do realize in herself it wasn't a slothful indifferent person this is not an argument shout grace and just do whatever you want this is an argument of saying what you can't do and can't get done and is stymied what's been scribbled on and seems like iron bars of blockade what's been resisted what has begun to weary you the lord says just put it right up there and let's just shout grace i'm going to level that mountain before you I'd like to ask the person who's going to help us on the keyboard in this service, if you would come right now. They're going to come. They're going to begin to play Amazing Grace, one of the most beloved songs for all of us. I'm going to ask you to sing it through with me once. I'm going to ask when we come to the second time. Now, I know people, and I'm going to be asking them on the second time to shout grace. Play really loud, really loud at that point, because people need something to smother their sense of self-consciousness. So I'd like to ask you to stand with me right now And we're going to sing amazing grace And thank God for the grace that has brought salvation And open up to the grace that is going to bring a flow In the face of whatever it is that you face And while we sing When we come to the second time through You can just sing And I'm not going to say one, two, three, shout grace You're going to have to make a decision on your own to shout it This can be a real quiet room at that point but you can shout grace and shout. I'm not talking about grace. Praise, 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 grace, praise. Grace, grace, grace. Anybody home? <laughs> shout grace.
1: Amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved A wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. To you. Let your grace flow in upon these manifold matters that face us now. With the Lord.
0: With the movement, Lord. With the convention, Lord. Lord, with the building. Oh, let grace flow, Lord. By your Spirit and for your glory. Move and be glorified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go ahead and applaud His glory together. Blessed Lord, we magnify you.
1: I once was lost Oh, but now I am found I was blind But now I see
0: I once had been weakened, resistance and obstructed But Lord, as I call on that grace I look to see you begin to unfold the victory don't just shout today keep shouting god bless you